So welcome back to another edition of the Inner Dominatrix podcast, the show that gets you stepping into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. And today, as always, I have exciting guests on. I have the amazing Phaedra. Now, Phaedra, I know you to be America's crisis coach. And of course, I've been on your podcast, Coming Out of the Fire, which is fabulous. You are a best-selling author on Amazon. And uh, I've been following your posts on Facebook. And I would say you are single-handedly keeping Starbucks alive with the amount of Starbucks you buy. <laughs> Definitely a fan. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It is so fun to be on this show. <laughs> awesome. So Phaedra, one of the things that I, you know, I wanted to reach out to you to be on the show was that you have an amazing story. It's very unique and you've taken something that for so many people, they would see it as um, something to be ashamed of, something to go and crawl under a rock and hide. And you turn that into a passion. So can you share with people what, what it was that you went through? Absolutely. So the nutshell version is I am a prison wife. And let's just get that out of the way. Mm. It's something that I never thought in a million years that I would ever uh, have attached to my person, my character, but it is the truth. Uh, my husband was accused of a white collar crime. And um, after a lengthy time fighting back um, against that accusation, he did go to trial wouldn't take a deal. And because of that, he um, actually ended up convicted. And so we've been in that big, long, hairy process. And it came with a lot of really horrible things. Um, I got fired from a job that I loved. I became a social outcast. I mean, it was just an avalanche of things that happened to myself, to my family, to my husband. And it left me in a really bad space in life where I felt like I didn't know who I was because I knew that I was a great person, that I had contributed to the world and, and had a great career. I was a great mother, a great wife. And yet all of a sudden the term shame on you became mm. part of my life. And it was people's interpretations and what people made up in their head. And that became part of my everyday life. And I couldn't just defend constantly everywhere I went and defend myself. So yes, I did sink pretty low for a while. And then I decided that there has to be a reason. There has to be a message in this. And I started to walk towards opportunities that came my way. I started to change how I thought about the situation. I started to own who I was and not from that defensive point of view, but from more of an offense of like, you don't have to like me. I like myself. And when I started changing the way I thought about it, I really decided that I could move forward in life instead of just having the word, the best day be behind me. So that's like the very, very nutshell version of yeah. what I've walked through since 2008. And that really skims the surface. I mean, you know, there's, there is, it's like people say that, um, you know, movies and TV are the good parts. It's life with all of the boring stuff taken out. Right. And so what you, you've summed it up, but how, like what long, how long was that, that process? So it started in 2008, and here we are in 2017, and my husband was put in jail for two and a half years back in 2009, trying to force him to take a deal. It was a very political thing that was happening, mm -hmm. um, and he wouldn't take a deal because he knew he didn't do anything wrong, and he had six children, and he wasn't going to stand up in his 50s and say, I'm a bad guy, just so he could get a deal. Of course, we didn't recognize the magnitude of what that meant, to be right. honest. 
So then it went to trial and it was very confusing. And basically what happened for us is the state just stripped away everything. They took our house, they took our livelihood, they took our reputation until we had nothing but a public defender for him, which was just devastating. And based on that, even though I'm, I'm sure that the team that defended Jim did the best that they knew how to do, it's not the same as if you have the caliber of protection yes. that we should have. So then he was convicted and he's been gone for four years now and we're in the appeals process and we're very hopeful and just have done so many things in the last four years associated with this that I never thought in a million years would be positives. Um, so it's been since 2008. Wow. That is, that is quite a journey. And I think that really reflects back in the, you know, the work that you now bring to people when you're helping, you know, these high achievers to run through their crises, you speak from a place of authenticity and that you know what it feels like to be in that fire and what it takes to get out of it. Yeah, there are level, levels of crisis. And I don't say that my crisis is any worse than the next person's. It's not a competition. No. But definitely when there are high-end types of crisis. And my background was already in psychology. I'd worked for 24, or 20 years at the time in the fields of mental health, social work, and family courts. So I already had this great toolbox with me of coping skills and things like that. And then when I went through this situation at this level, we're talking national news. I mean, it, it was a big deal. I now know skills that I have been able to use to help celebrities or professional athletes mm -hmm. or corporations because I represent, or I call it the 1%. I mean, what happened happened to my husband, but I was collateral to that. Yeah. And even him, I mean, his amazing coping skills and how he's been able to manage within his situation. So yeah, we definitely have been forged through this fire and we have skills that are, um, not typical, but they're so valuable. And so the everyday person doesn't even know that you can cope. I mean, most people say the same thing to me. I can't imagine what you're going through and they can't and, and they don't want to be me, you know, no. and yet I still have to live. And that was a big pain point for me early on where everybody I knew, either they ran away because they thought we were bad people mm -hmm. or they were embarrassed to be friends. So they wanted to be friends on the down low or they literally looked at me and said, I don't know how you're going to do this. And when I hear over and over and over again, there's no way to deal with this. There's nothing you can do. It becomes very defeating. So I have a passion to help people know that you can do all things. It's just a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. And, and sometimes you have to live second by second, then minute by minute, mm -hmm. hour by hour, day by day. And there's no shame in that. Yeah, I, I love that in that the breaking it down to the manageable pieces. And I can only imagine, I mean, I've twice in my life, I have chosen to walk away from everything. But that was my choice. It's very different when stuff gets ripped away. And you didn't go, you know, okay, I'm going to prepare for this, right? It's in, that whole process of being able to, how do you manage? How do you go through that? And, and I love the fact that you're offering support for people because I think it is so valuable in those times of, of crisis that we have somebody that we can, we can count on. And like you said, you know, you've got friends who they don't know what to say, but having an expert 
Yeah, absolutely. And the podcast was born from that. I've hosted, you know, well over 50 people who've gone through what we call batshit crazy crisis, <laughs> unimaginable things, you know, things that are out of the box. Yes, there have been divorces. Yes, there has been domestic violence. You know, yes, there has been death. But when you listen to some of the people that I've had on the show, who've gone through these higher levels, and each and every person has come through the fire. So they're able to look back, we live life forward, but we recognize life looking back how they were able to do it. And I think that was the, is the key for anything that we need to do is just knowing that it can be done. I think the fear that there are some things that you just can't survive Mm. is, is devastating. I know it was for me and I didn't know anybody who had been through anything like that. I'd been a social worker for years. I knew lots of people in prisons and they were doing horribly bad things. And so in my mind, they weren't (laughs) like me right now. I can tell you, I know many men and women, who support their family member who is in a prison and they're remarkable people. And I can also tell you one of the opportunities that opened up to me was to be able to campaign in California uh, against the death penalty. And knowing now what I know, there are many men and women who are in prison who should not be there who are wrongfully convicted. And, and that's just a dirty underbelly that none of us want to talk about because if it can happen to me, if it can happen to my family, it can happen to you. And we all would rather just imagine that it, only bad guys get put yeah. in prison. Yeah. The deluding of ourselves to think, oh, well, that's outside. It's like, you know, when we're teenagers, like, oh, I'm invincible. Nothing's going to happen to me. And then, you know, when to come back, you, you talked about, you know, the fear. And that's a big point that I talk about a lot with people is, you know, not letting the fear stop you. So what what would you say are your cool tools that you can give people that would shift them out of that fear? The best tool that I give people is to understand the grief and loss cycle. Because once you understand what it is and you can pinpoint where you are on it, there's something so freeing in that. So there's five stages to the grief and loss cycle. The beginning is um, shock and disbelief where you can't even, you know, you don't even know what's happening. You're just like totally in shock. And then the second is bargaining. And and we'll use God as the example. So you'd be like, God, I'll do anything, you know, please bring my husband back or please don't make this be real. You wake up in the morning and you're like, was it a dream? That's the bargaining stage. After that comes anger. So that's when we're pissed that this is happening to us because we're good people, right? Or we didn't deserve this or why me, not them. I'm a good person. After anger comes depression. And depression is when you've bargained, you've been mad, you've tried all these different things and nothing's changing the situation. That depression, most people come to me in that stage. And what's so wonderful is showing them that that's number four of five stages and that they're actually way farther along the grief and loss cycle than they, than they would have known. And then the final stage is acceptance. And again, if you want to use the God example, that's when we lay it all out and be like, you know what? I've done everything I know how to do. I've looked at this from every angle. I've been sorry for what I needed to be for. And I'm just, I'm just moving on. And in that acceptance is where solutions tend to come. Because we're not fighting against anything. Mm -hmm. Our ego isn't in the way. 
I don't know where you on the cussing level on the show. Oh, it's it's explicit. Go for okay, it. Okay, so no fucks <laughs> given. You're just at the point. I give no fucks. Whatever, do whatever you want. Well, that's where you start to heal because you're not fighting against anything and you're not living in a fairy tale and you're and you're getting mm-hmm. getting real. So that is a tool. That's the very first tool that I give everybody, and I see the light kind of go on in their eyes and they're like, "Whoa, okay." Number one, it's a cycle. Everybody is somewhere on it and you can control how quickly you move through it. There's no law that says, you know, you got to wear black for six months when you're prison, you know, your husband goes to prison. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) So once you see that cycle, you can go, you know what? I'm totally in depression and I'm moving a little bit back into anger, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to push through that and I'm going to get to acceptance. So that's a big tool that I use. I love it. I love it. And you know, just it's, I really resonate with that because that acceptance piece, I say to people, it's like the willingness to, to lose. Now, I tend to work with people once they've you know, come through that stage of the crisis and, and moving more into you know, higher levels of consciousness. But when people are willing to lose, they, they drop the necessity of hanging on to it. And then when they're willing to lose, they don't, they don't have the fear, right? Yeah, so absolutely. brilliant. Yeah. Like you said, you've walked away from a few things in your life. You were willing, you know, and I definitely came to that place where I was willing. I I wanted to stop hiding who I was. I couldn't change the fact that my husband was in prison. I didn't want a divorce. I believed in him. And there was a window of time where I think society expected me to divorce him. Mm. And perhaps that would have gotten me some grace. So then it became the whole, oh, well, you hitched your you know, wagon to that crazy train. So you get what you asked for. And then moving through that and being confident in who I am, being willing to lose the friends, the status, whatever. And when I was willing to say, you know what, it is what it is. I can't change it. And I'm not going to commit suicide. I mean, that literally was my, what I felt my option was. And I didn't want that to be my only option. So yeah, I was willing to just let it all go. Wow. And and that must have been so freeing when you finally let go. It didn't happen overnight. And that's one of the things I would tell your listeners is that you, I can sit here and tell you coming through this fire, what I did, but let me be honest in the moment, it was hard. There were days that would go by, there was depression, there was loneliness, there was things attached to this powerful decision. You have to walk it out. So Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen in some big kaboom where everything's (laughs) going to be awesome because you decided to take your power. It doesn't work (laughs) like that. You have to walk it out. You have to have people in your life. And we talk about having, you know, the five people that we hang out with as a representation of how we are. Well, I take it beyond that. It's the five foods that you eat. It's the five books that you read. It's the five ways you recreate. It's the things that you bring into your life. So in walking that out, once I made those decisions, I consciously built a team, or air quotes, built a team that was going to promote that decision that I made. So if you were a shitty friend, you were gone. I was no longer going to work that hard for your friendship. And I started to tell my story I used to not be able to tell tell it. I, I tried to avoid it or which meant avoiding people, avoiding opportunity, avoiding, you know, social life, or I would try to tell it so fast and in such a way that you wouldn't reject me or you wouldn't go, Ooh, that's like, Ooh, I'm sure you're a nice person, but I got to go. Once I kind of got past that and it became more matter of fact, what I noticed is that people wanted to lean in and my willingness to be open and answer any question. And I use a lot of humor 
and being able to answer questions, it demystifies and it humanized what prison life looked like. And so that was an unexpected byproduct. I love it. And, you know, that just speaks to the authenticity piece, right? You're willing to show up. You're willing to be really honest with people. And we've seen this over and over again. You know, when people open up, stop resisting, then other people are like, they start to get curious, like, oh, is that what that is? And, and the walls all come down between people. We can start to relate to each other instead of judging each other. Yes. And there's a key to that, though. Don't be batshit crazy in your authenticity. I, I'm not a big fan of that word because it's so such a buzzword. It is a it's buzzword. like being, you know, all know. natural or whatever. Because you can become needy, you can become, you know, a lot of things in your authenticity. You can become judgmental. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'm just being honest, you know. <laughs> so you can become a drama queen. Like you have to be sure that you're authenticity is the healthiest version of whatever your story is. So Mm -hmm. people don't cringe when you text them or they don't, you know, want to disengage with you. So there is a balance of making sure that your house is taken care of before you go into somebody else's house. I love that. Yeah. Because it is, you know, people put this out of this authenticity thing or I'm just speaking my truth. That's the other one that drives me batty. Right. And, and, and it's like, why does it, speak you're speaking your truth always feel like a hammer coming down on my head mm-hmm. like exactly well, right why does that feel awful <laughs> when how dare you deny someone their truth you know it's already built in that if you resist what i'm giving you in love right then <laughs> there's something really wrong with you right and we need to understand socially where we end and others begin and that we aren't allowed to encroach on someone else's space. I just, it, it's icky. It is icky. Yeah. And, but there's something beautiful on the other side of it. You know, when, when you engage in a conversation with somebody in which they're willing to be open. And I think it's more like, you know, holding the door open and allowing the other person in, like inviting them in and saying, what do you want to know? And having that, you know, conversation happen with questions as opposed to here, let me dump my crap all over you. Blah. You know, here's my story. How do you like it? And I love what you said. What do you want to know? That is the key because different people want to know different things about my story. And I wait for what they want to know. And I will add or take away depending on the situation, the person, their background or capacity. So you may such a perfect point and your listeners really please take that home. Make sure that you're giving people what they want to know and wait for them to maybe ask for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's such a lost art, right? So it's very few people actually ask questions. I, I had a, I had a conversation with somebody earlier and, and it was just so one-sided. Like the other person was just blah, 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 blah. And I would try to interject. I, could not get a word in edgewise. It was like, this is so ugly and uncomfortable. 
It is. And I've wanted to, I've had podcast guests who never knew when to stop and let me be a guide in the show. And it's a talent and people who are going to ask to be guests or what have you, they need to learn how to pause. Let that person ask the next question. Yes. Leave an opening, lead it in, be a good guest. That's a whole nother topic. Yes. (laughs) I know we can get on the rant of podcast things later, but (laughs) so I want to just kind of dive in a little bit because I'm actually curious. What surprised you that was like the hardest thing in, you know, in all of this crisis that you went through? With Jim? With Jim. Yeah, I didn't even know his name. Sorry. <laughs> yes, with Jim. Um, the hardest thing was accepting the fact that people get to make up things about you And as long as they can convince other people it's true, you can lose. Jim and I always believed that right would prevail, that justice Mm. would prevail. I'm not going to, I'm if Jim were guilty, I would be like, he was guilty and, you know, we did the best we could do and he's full of remorse, but that's not my story. So my story is he was accused of something. He knew he didn't do it. There are multiple layers to it, but the hardest part for me was when I got fired. So I worked at the same courthouse that ended up convicting him. Now, the state actually made the accusation, but it had to be tried in a local court. And I was a court investigator for eight years, and I was really good at it, and I loved my job. Like, I was the girl who would do a... uh, Uh, investigation. And I would literally be walking out to my car going, God, thank you so much. I love my job so much. Mm. And I had the full respect of the judges. My um, employee evaluations always said exceed standards. I mean, I was good at what I did. And I discovered that after the conviction, there was a lot of media frenzy and there was a lot of letter writing. And when the judges put two and two together, because I worked under my maiden name, and found out that I was married to Jim, they said, get her out of here. And they just fired me. And I was so brokenhearted because I served that court well. I was not Jim. I wasn't even married to him for the time that they were accusing him something of. So I wasn't a part of any of it. And they didn't even give me the ability to resign or anything like that. That hurt probably the worst of everything that I've been through. So that was the deepest wound. And again, coming to realize that our government isn't necessarily there to protect us. And I know we've gone through a lot with an election and we're starting to see more of that than ever, but we're talking about 2008. Mm -hmm. You know, politics weren't talked about like they are at our present time. And I'm going through this as a woman realizing, wow, how fragile our freedom really is in America, which is supposed to be the land of the free. So that was a tough, tough experience and a requirement to mature at a level that I, I'm sure I never would have outside of this experience. Yeah, incredible. Because it's just so many layers of being disillusioned. You know, mm-hmm. the, the people that you thought were there to love and support you were not being let down by that being, you know, it's just like, oh my goodness, I can just see the layers of that that you would have to have worked through. Mm-hmm. And obviously you have, I mean, you talk about your story with a lot of ease. So that speaks very highly of how much inner growth you have done. 
Yeah, it's weird. I walk within it. It's not over. I wish that Jim were home and we could talk together about overcoming and enduring. Um, The thing that I think that I'm really good at and equipped to teach people is what we call long suffering. And I get really frustrated, especially as an entrepreneur, we see, um, I don't know how your Facebook feed is, but there's a lot of (laughs) entrepreneurs on mine. And every once in a while, you'll see these people like, if you don't have success, you just don't want it. You know, this condemnation. And I'm like, dude, you don't even know what long suffering is. Like there are people who for no fault of their own are going through medical issues, financial issues, Mm -hmm. employment issues, whatever issues. Mm -hmm. And they're grinding, they're trying, they're doing, they're investing, they're doing all the things and it's still not happening. And I am, I understand it and I don't have magic pills for it, but I can do it. I can, I've learned how to laugh while my husband's in prison. I've learned how to love. I've learned how to have an incredibly healthy marriage with somebody I can't sleep with. You know, um, I've learned how to do it. And it's some, I think it's similar to like military wives. I think that's a form of long suffering or military spouses. Um, you know, people who have chronic illness, people who have lost loved ones unexpectedly or in tragic ways, that's a form of suffering that you just don't get over. And so you learn to walk with it. So like, would you see in me that I can show up powerfully or I can be on Facebook and be positive? I don't, perseverate and I don't draw a lot of help me, help me attention. I ask for support when I need it. Mm -hmm. I receive it and then I move on. I don't just stay in a shitty space. And I love that about you, which is, you know, why you've stayed on my follow feed <laughs> between that. And, and it's like, what Starbucks cup is she going to have today? Right. <laughs> what is the drink of the day? I'm like, I don't know what it is about that. I just want to know what the drink of the day is. <laughs> Probably because I have the same Starbucks addiction. <laughs> yes. You, you feel me literally. <laughs> I do. I do. I really feel that. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's really, I just love how you have turned your story into something that is of such, you know, is such a big need for people these days. And, you know, I think right now, like I'm in Canada and I just see the Americans It is a general population. You poor people are going through a crisis right now and I feel so bad for you. Um, So, you know, it's like the whole population needs crisis coaching right now. Right. And the funny thing is that I've discovered people don't look for the support when they're in the crisis. And that's, that's the trickiest part is Mm. you can't Google, um, like if somebody wants to learn how to podcast, you know, you can put in some keywords and you can find any number of people to help you with podcasting. But when we're in our darkest times and if we're covered in shame or doubt or depression, we're not, we don't believe that anything can be changed. So why would we look for someone to help us? And Mm. one of the critical pieces about what America is going through is that people are in that state of shock, disbelief, bargaining, and anger. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not in acceptance (laughs) at all. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a difficult time. And I posted something on my Facebook today that said people are, um, they are influenced by how you behave, not by your opinion. You know, they, and that's the truth right now. We have all these opinions out there Mm -hmm. and what it is representative of. I see this a lot in all forms of crisis is it's like face baiting people who put that negative thing out there because they're looking to be supported, but they're Mm -hmm. going about it in all the wrong ways. And it's not promoting healing. It's promoting that perseveration. 
Yeah. So true. I, you know, and I've been, I've been watching this myself too. It's, it drives me crazy because it's like, you could be getting some authentic connection from people instead of spending your time, you know, just putting up some, oh, the life is awful. And, you know, their, their latest crisis, mm-hmm. you know, many, the many, you know, um, first world problem type crisis. Yeah, right. Right. And, and trying to get people to engage and go, oh, you poor thing, you poor thing. Right. Like, what if we actually went beyond that? Mm-hmm. And what I've seen with people who've gone through higher end crises who have been broken, I mean, they've just been devastated. They lose. That's one of the benefits. If you've got to be in this, uh, in this club is that you generally lose your sense for bullshit. Your pettiness mm. just goes away. There are people who it's interesting. You'll see people who go through something horrible, like their, their child will be murdered and some people will literally get in their bed and never get out again. And yet some people will go and start a foundation that finds lost children. So what is it? It's the same situation. It's just the meaning that you attach to it. Mm -hmm. So in my situation, I attached meaning that I'm going to do anything that I can to help other people so they don't put suicide on the table as one of their coping skills. That really was my motivation. And then I wanted to talk to people who had been through something and new tools to get through it. And that's what I discovered is that number one, I wasn't rejected the ways that I made up in my head I was going to be. And number two, people had such valuable tools. And what I discovered is that they translate. So I had a guest who's, who walked in and her husband had committed suicide. Wow. In a graphic way. So she talked to me about how you clean that mess up, how you live in that same house, how you move forward. Um, Mm. I've had another guest who survived a plane crash and she can tell you what you literally are thinking about as the plane's going down, you know? And so you get these skill sets, but guess what? They're universal. What Mm. the woman used to overcome her husband's suicide was very similar to what the woman getting, you know, off the plane did and any number of things. So the, the, that's the good news is that it's universal. Any of us can do it. I just don't want people to need this really high-end crisis in order to have those skills. Yeah. And it, it's, it would be great if people reached out to actually learn those skills outside of needing a crisis to get it, like to actually put it in place. We need a training school for, uh, you know, high-end coping skills. Yeah, I w- this is the type of things that if we taught in schools, you know, budget, oh, how to manage a, bu- a yeah. checkbook, you know, how it definitely would be preventative. Um, yeah. And this is where parents can help children when they're younger by letting them manage their own little mini crises and work things through themselves and allowing them to feel appropriate levels of pain. You know, mm-hmm. if your kid gets hurt, don't give them a cookie because the next thing you know, they equate oh, comfort with food. So yeah, as parents, we can let our, our families experience life's small tragedies and they build on that when they have their bigger ones. I mean, my kids' experience was unique to them. My experience as his wife is one thing, but then my kids' experience and their yeah. resilience and their um, abilities at much younger ages, because I was in my 40s and they were teenagers and young 20s when it happened. So they're in a different capability that's actually better than me because they learned it younger. Yeah. Wow. And then where are they going to go from here? Because they've got these skills set in Mm -hmm. and, you know, the resiliency in Mm -hmm. place. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. Oh, you know what? I, we, I know we could talk and dig in. I would love to just keep going with this because I'm like, oh, I, I'm intrigued. I love hearing more about people's stories, um, but I am aware of the time. And so I just want to, you know, check in with you about any other tools or mindset shifts or anything else that you want to leave the listeners with? There's a wonderful concept called the hero's journey. And I talk about it. There's um, a way to get this example of the grief and loss cycle and then the hero's journey from my website. So we can talk about how to access that. But the hero's journey we see this in Harry Potter, we see this mm-hmm. in Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible, all of that is this hero's journey where the unequipped, least likely person <laughs> is handed a bag of shit and <laughs> is asked to do something with this. Yes. And the decision to say yes changes everything, right? And you are the hero of your journey. And there's a way for you to decide, I'm going to take this bag of shit and I'm going to do something with it. And knowing that you get to do that. Um, is very, very powerful. So my wisdom in that is recognize that when you're handed this, you're handed an opportunity and you have two choices. Like I said, you can get in your bed and never get out again, or you can walk towards it. You can go through that grief and loss cycle. And when you get to that place of acceptance, you can walk towards it. So I don't know if that's a helpful tool, but I know (laughs) for my clients, it's usually the next step is to see themselves as in an epic and they are the hero that's given that crossroads opportunity Mm -hmm. to go and do things. Um, And then the last thing that I'll say that's very practical is to be in community. When all of this was happening to me, I went very introverted and very in, and I didn't think that anybody could help me. So I didn't look for any help. And I went to a women's retreat in Pensacola, Florida, beautiful beach house. And I told my story for the first time with just snot coming out of my nose. And I was physically just shaking and crying, waiting for these women to say, like everyone else had, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I got nothing for you. And that wasn't what they did. They, Mm. they said, here's what I see. Here's what I see. And so again, those five people that you're hanging out with. So make sure that you're in community that's quality and that you're, you're with people who are going to help you, but also are going to expect more of you to actually pull through. Oh, beautiful. It is, it is beautiful. And those are great words of wisdom and great advice. I mean, no matter where you are in your life, your, your five people, your top five are critical for your success. So I want to thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's been a delight. Um, And then of course, people can find you on your podcast, which is coming out of the fire. And, uh, and then what's your, what website do you want people to find you at? Yeah. So if you want to get the printout about the grief and loss cycle and the hero's journey, you can go to crisiscrusher.com. Really easy. Just download everything. And if you want to learn more about me and everything that I've got going on, you go to doing life with Phaedra com Very easy. And I would love to connect with you. I get a lot of people reaching out to me when I'm a guest on podcasts because they have their own batshit crazy story. So if you've got <laughs> one, send me a message. There's a Absolutely. contact me form on every page. Yeah, love it. And, uh, and Phaedra is F-A-Y-D-R-A, despite how Starbucks employees tend to spell it for you. So <laughs> that's a little funny thing. You got to follow Phaedra just for that. There's always funny spellings. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I'm keeping them in, in lots of free marketing. 
<laughs> yes, definitely. I, I still think you should ha- hit them up for a sponsorship spot, you know, right? You know, all this free promotion. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much again for coming out. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the inner dominatrix, the show that lets you step into your bold, sexy, fun filled life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to tell your friends about it. And if you're ready to own your inner dominatrix, then hop over to my website, innerdominatrix.com, and let's have a conversation to get you rocking your bold, sexy, fun-filled life.